I pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat> All right, well, we're there in uh, Titus chapter number two. And of course, we've been going through a series on uh, the Christmas spirit. We've been going through this uh, series during the Christmas season. And uh, the children's choir, they did a great job, those kids. So, praise the Lord for that. And uh, pray for the adult choir, that they, they do just as well. It's a, it's a hard act to, to follow up, you know, but uh, I'm sure they'll be great. We hope you'll come back tonight for the evening service. We've been going through this series on the Christmas spirit, and we've been focusing on the themes of Christmas and the spirit of Christmas, and we began by talking about joy, and of course, last week we talked about peace. And this morning, I want to speak on the subject of hope. When you think about Christmas and you think about the spirit of Christmas and the theme of Christmas, these are words that commonly come up, joy, peace, hope. And today I'd like us to look at this idea of hope. And of course, hope is a theme of Christmas, and it's a theme that you see a lot of as you are decorating your home for Christmas or as you're out and about seeing Christmas decorations. You'll see this word often used throughout the Christmas decorations and that is the word of hope, because of the fact that hope is a theme of Christmas. In fact, we sang about it this morning in our chorus of the week. We, we sang the words, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, or hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. And of course, when Christ was born, there was a thrill of hope because God sent his son into this dark and sinful world, a world which was pining in error and sin. And of course, he sent the son that he might die for our sins. And we know that the Christmas story is a Christmas of uh, a story of hope because of the fact that it is the hope of our salvation. And as we begin this morning, I, I want to begin by helping you understand biblically the definition of the word hope. There is a modern or contemporary definition of the word hope, meaning the way in which you and I would use the word hope. And then there is a biblical definition for the word hope. And the way the Bible uses the word hope and the way we use the word hope are two different ways and, and really completely opposite of each other. The contemporary definition of the word hope is this, the feeling that what was wanted can be had or may be had, that events will turn out for the best. So when we use the word hope, we are saying that we think it's possible that maybe things will work out in the way we want it. And the attitude that we have when we think of the word hope or when we use the word hope is we'll say this phrase, right? We'll say, well, I hope so. I hope this will happen. And when you're talking about whatever it is you're talking about, uh, maybe it's you're applying for a new job, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's uh, your health, whatever it might be, the attitude when we use the word hope, it's this idea that it's up in the air. We're not sure if it's going to happen, but we feel like there's a good chance or an opportunity or we would like for it to happen. And we'll say something along these lines, I hope this happens. Do you think this will happen? I hope so. Do you think it'll turn out well? I hope so. And it's this idea of uncertainty. I don't know if it'll turn out well, but I hope 
it will. Now, I want you to understand that that is the exact opposite of how the Bible uses the word hope. The biblical definition of the word hope is this, something in which we have assurance, confidence, expectation, something that is promised, that we know will happen. The opposite of our attitude, I hope so, is the biblical attitude for hope, which is I know so. It's something I have confidence that will happen. It's just interesting to me how the devil will cause us in our society to just take a biblical word and use the exact opposite uh, and give it the exact opposite meaning. In the Bible, when you read the word hope, it is a confidence. It is an assurance. I know this will happen, and that is my hope. When we use it, it's a possibility. We're not sure. It's uncertain, and we are hoping that it will turn out right. Let me just give you, just by way of introduction, just um, some examples of biblical hope, just to show you how it is that the Bible uses this terminology and how the Bible uses the word hope as an assurance, a confidence, an expectation that something we know will happen that has been promised to us, we know it will come to pass. You're there in Titus chapter 2. This is not a Christmas passage, but I just want you to see it because this is probably one of the most famous passages in which the word hope is used in our Bible. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says this, Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope. And this term is a very well-known term in our Bible a reference to the blessed hope. You say, what is the blessed hope? Notice the Bible says there, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, I'm not preaching on this this morning, but that's a great verse right there on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice that here the word hope is used in reference to the second coming of Christ. We are looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And when it comes to the second coming, this is not something that you and I are hoping it'll happen, right? We, we don't know if Jesus is going to come back, but we sure hope he does. It's possible he might. We're not sure. It's up in the air. No, no, no. That's not the way the Bible uses this word. When the Bible says that we are looking for that blessed hope, what we are saying is that we have an assurance, a confidence, an expectation that Jesus will return to this earth, that he will set up his uh, millennial uh, kingdom on this earth. It's not a hope so, but it is our blessed hope because we know so. We know that he is coming. So we see there the hope of the second coming. Let me give you another example. You're there in uh, Titus. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, if you would. 1 Thessalonians, if you're there in Titus, if you just go backwards past the books of 2 and 1 Timothy, past the book of 2 Thessalonians into 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you're there in Titus. If you just go backwards, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians first, uh, uh, chapter 4 and verse 13. Notice what the Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians, and he is talking to them about people that have passed away, people that have passed on. When the Bible talks about believers dying, 
It uses the word sleep. It doesn't often use the word dead. It uses the word sleep. And the reason for that is because when a believer dies, they rule, their, their body really is asleep because we have a hope in the resurrection. And one day that body's going to wake up and it's going to resurrect. So here Paul says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that sorrow, he said, notice what he says there, that ye sorrow not, so he's telling them, I know you've got loved ones that have passed, but I want you to sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And I want you to notice that here Paul is referring to the hope of being reunited one day with our loved ones in heaven. And he's telling them, look, I know you've had people that have passed on, but you do not need to sorrow as those which have no hope. And what he's saying is this, that when unbelievers have unbeliever uh, uh, family members and friends die, for them there is no hope. But for us who believe and have confidence in Christ, we have a hope that we will be reunited one day. And I want you again to just notice the fact that when the word hope is used here, it is not this hope so, like I hope to see you one day. No, if I'm saved and you're saved and one of us passes, I know I will see you one day. So therefore, we do sorrow, obviously, when our loved ones die. But we do not have to sorrow as those which have no hope. You're there in 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me give you another example. 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm just giving you some examples to show you how the word hope is used in the Bible, and it is this confidence, this assurance, this expectation. It's used in regards to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, our blessed hope. It's used in regards to our reunion with loved ones in heaven. We're told that we do not have to sorrow as those which have no hope. But the word hope is also used in regards to our salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, notice these words, the hope of salvation. See, salvation is a hope in the Bible. And remember that the biblical definition of the word hope is an assurance, an expectation. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. For most so-called Christians out there who are trusting in their works to save them, their salvation is a modern hope. I hope so. We will oftentimes ask people, we knock on our doors, we ask them, do you know for sure if you died today? Are you on your way to heaven? Oh, I sure hope so. I hope I'm good enough. I hope I make it. Well, listen to me. You can get rid of that modern hope and get a biblical hope and know that you're saved when your faith is in Jesus Christ. The Bible calls salvation a hope, and it's not a hope so. It is an assurance, a confidence, an expectation that we know that we know that we're saved. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 2. If you go backwards, just keep going backwards in your Bible. You have 1 Thessalonians. You go past Colossians, past Philippians, into the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just show this to you. And, and again, this is all by way of introduction, this idea of hope. I just want you to understand how the Bible uses it. It uses it in regards to salvation. It uses it in regards to our reunion in heaven with uh, loved ones. It uses it in regards to the second coming. Notice here Ephesians 2.11 Continuing with this idea of hope regarding salvation. Notice what the Bible says about unbelievers. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Wherefore, remember, this is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. He's talking to believers, but he says, I want you to remember that ye being in time past. He says, I want you to remember before that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh 
who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands. Notice verse 12, that at the time you were without Christ. He's talking about before you were saved. And look, this is true of the Ephesian believers, and it is true of you and I today, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promises. He's referring to the time before you were saved. Notice what he says. He says, having no hope and without God in the world. Isn't that a true statement? Those that are without God really have no hope. Having no hope. And and again, the idea here is not of having no hope like, I hope so. It's having no hope like, no confidence, no assurance, not knowing, having no hope and without God in the world. Go with me, if you would, to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number... 13, if you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13. And that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. I was raised in a Christian home this week, like we announced during the announcement time. My parents will be celebrating 43 years of marriage and... That is an amazing feat. It is something that is extremely uncommon in our culture today. And because my parents have been married for 43 years, I, I, I think it's obvious that I grew up in a Christian home. And as a result, by God's grace, I was saved at, at a young age. My wife was saved when she was 17 years old. And one thing that my wife has communicated to me is that right around, right, right around the, t- the age of 15, 16 years old, She was just a a normal, worldly, young teenage girl living her life. And and she would would have these, and and my wife's not the type of person that gets depressed or discouraged or anything like that, Uh, but she she would have this this deep sadness in her her heart, and she would think to herself, is this all that life is about? I mean, is this it? I think it's an interesting thought, a 16-year-old girl, to, to have this thought, like, is this it? We just get up. We go to school or go to work and, 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 and do fun things on the weekend and we just go to sleep and then we just do it again. Is this it? And that is the expression that maybe many unsaved people don't communicate in those words, but they feel it. And that is the idea of having no hope and without God in the world. And I would submit to you this morning that there are many people who are living with an absence of hope. There's many unsaved people that are living with an absence of hope, but unfortunately, there's many even saved people that are living without hope. And we began this morning by looking at really a theology of hope, what the Bible teaches about hope and the definition of the word hope. I hope you understand that now. (laughs) But what I want to do for the rest of our time is, as quickly as possible, give you some practical thoughts regarding this idea of hope. I'd like to give you three different headings, and I'd encourage you to write these down on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you maybe jot down some notes. And we looked at the theology of hope. Theologically speaking, hope is a confidence. It is an assurance. It is an expectation. Our hope is in things that we know are going to happen. They've not yet happened, but we know they're going to happen. Our blessed hope of the second coming of Christ, our hope of being reunited with believers in heaven, our hope of salvation itself. We are not as those which have no hope that are without God in this world. But while living in this world, 
hope plays a very practical uh, uh, role in our lives. And I'd like to just give you three thoughts this morning uh, on the subject of hope. The first point or heading, if you'd like to jot it down in your notes, is this, and I've already referenced it, but it is the absence of hope. The absence of hope. There are many people living today with an absence or a lack of hope. And here's what I want you to understand. The lack of hope is discouraging. The lack of hope is depressing. Proverbs 13 and verse 12, notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 13, 12, the Bible says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Hope deferred. That word deferred means to be postponed, to be put off, to be set aside. Hope deferred, the Bible says, maketh the heart sick. You say, what does that mean? That means when you feel as though you've lost hope, when you feel like there was hope for a situation, whatever it might be, there was this hope, and then you realize or you come to the understanding that that hope has been deferred, that, that, that there is actually no hope, that there's hopelessness. Hope deferred, the Bible says, maketh the heart sick. Notice the rest of the verse. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. The word desire there is referring to the thing you wanted. So here the Bible is telling us something, and and the Bible is getting into a little bit of psychology, if we could use that word, and it is telling us something about our emotions and our feelings. Whenever we feel like we've lost hope, there is no hope, or there's not any hope coming for a while, whenever we feel like hope has been deferred, that makes our heart sick. It makes our heart hurt. It makes us hurt inwardly. But when desire, when the thing that we were hoping for actually cometh, when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. And here's what the Bible is telling you. Whenever you lack hope, it is a discouraging thing. It is a depressing thing. You're there in Proverbs. Go backwards to the book of Psalm, Psalm 42. Here's why this is important, especially during this holiday season, is because we've talked about it when we began the series, and we began with the subject of joy. And it is this, that during the holidays, people will often get very sad. They'll get discouraged. Some of it has to do with being away from family. Some of it has to do with uh, the fact that maybe they've moved away and, and they miss home or whatever it might be. But sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it is a missing of family, missing a family that has passed. Sometimes as we come to the end of the year and as we uh, prepare for Christmas and we prepare for New Year, we begin to have this uh, mental inventory of our lives as we close one year and we begin another year. And this is a good thing. I'm not saying this is a, a negative thing, but it can bring negative thoughts when we close one year and we begin a new year. The realization that we have not made it to where we thought we would make it. We didn't accomplish what we thought we'd accomplish. We thought that life would play out better. We thought that life would play out different. We thought that we would be further along maybe in whatever it might be, financially or your health or relationship. And, and there's this hopelessness that sometimes is felt during this time. And there's this Christmas blues that are felt. Why? Because hope deferred maketh the heart sick. The lack of hope is discouraging. Psalm 42, are you there? Look at verse 5. Notice what the psalmist says, Psalm 42 and verse 5. Why art thou cast down? The word cast down is a reference there. When somebody's cast down, it means they, they feel low. 
They've, they've, they've fallen. Literally, the, the phrase in our, your King James Bible, cast down, simply means to be depressed. We use the word depressed. Oh, I'm depressed. This person is depressed. They're discouraged. That's the word. That's the idea being communicated here. Why art thou cast down? Notice the question being asked by, thy, by the psalmist. Oh, my soul. The psalmist is speaking to himself, speaking to his soul, and saying to his soul, why are you so cast down? Why are you so low? Why do you feel so bad? Why are you so depressed? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted? I want you to notice that word disquieted. To be disquieted means to have a lack of calm, a lack of peace. The word that you and I would use in our modern vernacular would be anxiety. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou uh, disquieted in me? And literally the psalmist is saying, why are you depressed and anxious? And then he says these words to his own soul. He says, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Notice there, verse 11, the same psalm, Psalm 42, verse 11. The verse is quoted again. I just want you to notice it for emphasis. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is health of my countenance and my God. See, hopelessness means to have despair, to feel despair, to feel as though things are unraveling and there's no hope of it being fixed. It means having despair, not seeing how things can get better. And here's what I'm telling you. The lack of hope is discouraging. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. The opposite of that truth is this. The presence of hope is encouraging. Amen. You're there in Psalm, look at Psalm 16. I, just want, I want you to notice these. I want you to compare and contrast these verses we're, we, we're looking at. Psalm 16, verse 9. We just got done looking at the bad side. Hope deferred, make the heart sick. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Now notice Psalm 16 and verse 9. And what was the reason? Because of lack of hope. Psalm 16 and verse 9 says this, Therefore my heart is glad. That's the opposite of your soul being cast down. He says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall, notice these words, rest in hope. You say, Pastor, I am discouraged this morning. I am depressed this morning. I am not feeling cast down and low this morning. And I would say to you, it is a lack of hope in your life that is causing you to feel that way. Because the lack of hope is discouraging and the presence of hope is encouraging. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Go to Psalm 31. Look at verse 24. Psalm 31 and verse 24. Notice what the Bible says. Psalm 31, 24. Be of good courage. See that word courage there? Usually when we think of the word courage, we think of someone being brave. And that is definitely true. The word courage means to be brave, to, to face your fears. But I want you to notice how the word courage is very close to this word, encourage. Or to be encouraged. Why? Because when somebody is discouraged, that means that they are without strength. 
It means that they feel weak. Their soul is cast out. When they are encouraged, it means they are given strength. It means they are raised up. And here the psalmist says, Be of good courage, and he shall, notice, strengthen your heart. Why? Because your soul is cast down. He says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. All ye that, don't miss it, hope in the Lord. Notice the connection between hope and courage, hope and strength, and lack of hope and discouraged. Lack of hope and being disquieted. Lack of hope and being cast down. Go to Psalm 146. We're in Psalms, so it should be easy to find. Psalm 146, look at verse 5. Psalm 146 and verse 5. I just want you to notice this. Psalm 146 and verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. Happy is he. Isn't that what we want? Is that why you want your life to be described? Happy is he that hath, God, that hath the God of Jacob for his help. Notice these words. Whose hope is in the Lord his God. See, the Bible is clear. When we talk about this idea of the absence of hope, it, we, the Bible is clear about the fact that the lack of hope is discouraging and the presence of hope is encouraging. You're there in Psalms. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Job. If you go backwards, just past the book of Psalms into the book of Job, Job 31. While you turn there, let me just read to you a couple of passages from the New Testament. I'd like you to go to Job, but I'll read to you from Acts and then from Romans. Acts 2.26. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Romans 12.12. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continue an instant in prayer. You say, I'd like to rejoice this holiday season. You need hope. I, I, the Bible says, therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. So we begin this morning by talking about the absence of hope. The lack of hope is discouraging, and the presence of hope is encouraging. Now maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're listening to me, and you're saying, yes, I understand. I'm living what you're saying. But though you are telling me something that I already know, and maybe I've not communicated that in my own mind and my heart, I understand that it is the lack of hope that brings discouragement. It is the lack of hope that makes my soul cast out. It is the lack of hope that makes me uh, anxious and disquieted in my heart. I understand that. Thank you, Pastor, but you've not yet helped me. What am I supposed to do about it? And for that reason, the second heading in the sermon we began with the first heading or thought, the absence of hope, because we need to understand the role that hope plays, practically speaking, in our lives. A lack of hope is discouraging. The presence of hope is encouraging. Here's the second uh, heading or the second point, and it is this. Let's talk about the acquiring of hope. Because if the lack of hope is discouraging and the presence of hope is encouraging, then the next question should be, well, then how do I get some hope? How do I acquire hope? How can I get hope so that I will be encouraged and not discouraged? Well, let's begin with this. A lack of hope comes from having hope. Please don't. I realize this is not deep, but it's just something we need to hear. A lack of hope comes from having hope in the wrong things. See, if you're here this morning and you say, my soul is cast down and my heart is disquieted, I'm depressed and discouraged because I have no hope. That's true. You have no true hope. But let's just 
make something clear, and it is this. It's not that you don't have hope. It's that you had hope in the wrong thing. Having hope in the wrong thing has left you hopeless. Lack of hope comes from having hope in the wrong things. Let's just talk about a couple of those. Job 31, verse 24. Are you there? Job 31, 24. Job 31, 24. Notice what Job says here. And remember, Job has gone through a difficult time in his life here in the book of Job. Job 31, 24. If I have made gold my, don't miss it, look at it, hope. If I have made gold my hope, or I have said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. Now notice how Job uses the words hope and confidence interchangeably. Why? Because the biblical definition of the word hope is confidence, assurance, expectation. Job says, look, I understand why I would be discouraged if I have made gold my hope, or I have said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. He said, look, if I have put my hope in gold, what is he talking about? He's talking about money. He said, if I put my hope in gold... If I put my confidence in silver, if I put my hope in the dollar, and look, some of you are really cast down. Let me put it this way. Some of us, let me include myself, it's easy to get really cast down when you start thinking about the economy. Start thinking about inflation. Start thinking about the stock market. Start thinking about the economy and the possibility of things not going well in this coming year. And here's all I'm telling you. There's lots of people that are feeling hopeless about their financial situation, hopeless about their uh, career situation, hopeless about their housing situation. They're not feeling very hopeful. But let me tell you something. Those things were never meant to give you hope. You're not supposed to find your hope in the stock market. You're not supposed to find your hope in the real estate. You're not supposed to find your hope in your investments. Hey, if you put your hope in those things, you're putting your hope in the wrong place. The hope of things will leave you hopeless. But let me say this. You're there in Job. Go back to Psalms if you would. Because remember, the biblical term... For the word hope, the biblical definition of the word hope is the assurance, the confidence, the expectation of something that is promised, something that will happen. We know so. That's why Job said, I've made my gold, uh, I've made gold my hope. Find gold, thou art my confidence. He used the word hope and confidence synonymously because that's what the word hope in the Bible means. Confidence, assurance, expectation. And I'm here to tell you that the lack of hope comes from really not a lack of hope, but it is a having hope in the wrong things. If you put your hope in things, they will leave you hopeless. If your hope is in what you drive and you buy some new vehicle to drive, it, you'll feel good for like a day or depending on how shallow you are, a month, I don't know, a year, but I'm here to tell you something, eventually it'll get old. No brand, no clothes, no real estate, no toy, nothing you can own in this world is meant to make you happy. Having hope in things will leave you hopeless. But let me say this as well. Having hope in people will leave you hopeless. Psalm 118 and verse 8, notice what the Bible says. 
It is better to trust. You see that word trust? Psalm 118 verse 8. It is better to trust. The word trust is, can be used synonymously with the word hope because the biblical term for the word hope is something we trust in. Something we put our confidence in. Something we have our assurance in. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. You may be feeling hopeless because of people. People have hurt you. People have let you down. People have stabbed you in the back. And look, I'm not minimizing that. I understand how difficult that can be. But if you're feeling hopeless because of what people have done to you, I'm not alleviating responsibility from what they've done. They should take responsibility for what they've done. But let me help you take a little responsibility for what you've done. Your hope should have never been in those people to begin with. That doesn't mean you, should, you shouldn't love people. We'll talk about that tonight. The Bible commands us to love. The Bible commands us to care. The Bible commands us to invest in people. It's interesting to me that the Bible tells us in the book of John that though Jesus loved and invested all of his disciples, the Bible says that he did not put his confidence in man because he knew what was in man. And I'm just here to tell you that the Christian life is this life in which we love people, we care for people, we invest in people, we give to people, and we do everything we can for people. And then when those people let us down, and they eventually will, we say, my hope was not in those people anyway. I wasn't doing it for those people anyway. See, a lack of hope comes from actually having hope. You've had hope. Just in the wrong things. Hope in things. Hope in people. And and to make it even worse, in Psalm 118 and verse 8, he says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. That's just in general, man. Your husband, your wife, your boss, your pastor. Then he says, and you're really going to be depressed, you Fox News Baptists out there. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. You say, what's a prince? It's a political position. Some of you are like, oh, the midterm elections, they were so bad, I'm so depressed. Why? Why is your hope in those princes anyway? You're putting your hope in the wrong thing. You listen to the news all day and then you wonder why you're depressed. All they give you is bad news. When it comes to acquiring hope, here's what we need to understand, that the lack of hope comes from having hope in the wrong thing. Your problem is not hope. See, you say, I feel hopeless about my situation. I feel hopeless about my finances. I feel hopeless about my, my housing situation. I feel hopeless about my career. I feel hopeless about the economy. I feel hopeless about these things. But the truth is, it's not that you feel hopeless about those things. It's that you put your hope in those things. And when those things let you down, when those people let you down, it brought this feeling of unrest. You're there in Psalm 118, go to Psalm 71. We talked about the lack of hope, let's talk about the presence of hope. The lack of hope comes from having hope in the wrong things. Let's talk about the presence of hope. The presence of hope comes... I'm sure you know this. You're a smart group. The presence of hope comes from the God of hope. 
Psalm 71, verse 5. For thou art my hope. Don't miss it. I think sometimes we just read these verses and we're so trite about it. Put yourself in the, in the frame of mind. I just, I just got laid off. And look, I'm not, if that's you, and I'm not, I don't know if anybody's been laid off, but I know that during this season, oftentimes people get laid off. It's kind of sad. It happens usually around Christmas time, which is really like the worst time to lay people off. But it happens because the year's about getting ready to end and the businesses are looking at their books and realizing that they've overspent and they can't afford and they, this and that. And I'm just saying, maybe that's you and you're looking at your financial situation. You're saying, this is a hopeless situation. Here's what the psalmist says. He says, for thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. Go to Psalm 78, look at verse 7. Psalm 78, verse 7. Notice what the Bible says, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So see, your hope should have never been in gold. And your hope should have never been in Him or her, or them. Your hope should have always been in the Lord God. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. See, the source of hope comes from the God of hope. Keep your finger right there in Psalms. We're going to come back to it. If you can just keep your place right there in Psalms. Go with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. In the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 15. Keep your place in Psalms. We're going to come right back to it. And then go with me to the book of Romans. And I'm going to ask you to keep your place in Romans as well because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Romans chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Notice what the Bible says, Romans 15, 13. The Bible says, Now the God of hope. See the word of there? The word of speaks to source. It's where, the, where it comes from. He's the God of hope because he's the source of hope. Hope comes from God. Now the God of hope, notice, doesn't this sound like our Christmas series that we've been going through? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy. The first word we talked about in this series. And peace. The second word we talked about in this series, in believing that ye may abound in hope. The third word we've talked about in this series. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. The source of hope comes from the God of hope. You say, well, how do I get hope from God? Let's talk about the transmission of hope. Keep your finger there in Romans. We're going to come back to it. Go back to Psalm 119. Please listen to me very carefully. I try to outline these sermons in such a way where I can deliver truth to you in a succinct way, a memorable way, a way for you to remember. I realize that you probably don't even notice the outline, and that's okay. That's, that's fine. It's there for me, not necessarily for you. As long as you're getting the Word of God, that's what you need. But I want you to understand something. The source of hope is the God of hope, The transmission of hope comes from the Word of God. Psalm 119.49. Because look, I never like to just leave you with this theological, spiritualizing, God is hope. And I'm not mocking that. God is hope. 
But how do I get that? How do I get the God of hope to put hope in my heart? How do I get the God of hope to, to transmit hope into my life? Psalm 119.49, Remember the word unto thy servant, notice these words, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. So how do I get hope? You get it through the word of God. When you remember the word, what word? The word which thou hast caused me to hope. The word in which you've caused me to hope. Psalm 119, you're there, look at verse 81, same psalm, Psalm 119, 81. Notice what the the Bible says, Psalm 119, 81. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Psalm 119, 114, verse 114, same psalm. Psalm 119, verse 114. Notice what the Bible says, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. Notice these words, I hope in thy word. The God of hope is the source of of hope. The transmission of hope is the Word of God. You need the God of hope, but you also need the Word of God. It is the Word of God that will transmit hope into your life. Go back to Romans, Romans 15. Romans 15. You say, okay. Because look, you understand what we're doing? We're starting with the theological principle. God is the God of hope. But that doesn't do any. I mean, that sounds good, and I, and I appreciate it, but that doesn't help you. Say, I, I, we need to make that really practical. We need to bring it down into, into our levels, into our lives. We need to take it from Sunday into Monday. From, from Wednesday into Thursday. So I, I want you to understand this. God is the God of hope. We need the hope of God. There's a mode in which this hope should be transmitted to us. The way that God reaches down to us, the way that God has always reached down to us, is through the Word of God. Both the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the written Word, the Bible that you have in your hand. If you're holding a King James Bible. The way that we have hope transmitted, the way we have anything transmitted into us by God is through the Word of God. Romans 15.4. Notice what the Bible says. Romans 15.4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, referring to the Old Testament, referring to the Bible, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have, don't miss it, hope. How do we get hope? Through patience and comfort of the Scriptures. That through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we, if we hope for that we see not, then do we patience wait for it. See, it is the God of hope that transmits to us the hope of God through the Word of God. You say, still too theological, still too spiritual. We need to take it a step further. This is why we want you to read nine chapters a day. I mean, let's just talk about it. You say, Pastor, why are you always trying to get us to read the Bible? Give us this chart. Then you tell us you're going to put our name on this, on this, uh, on this uh, plaque over there. And, 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 and I kind of feel like you're pressuring us. I kind of feel like you're pressuring us to read the Bible. Well, let me let you know a little secret. I am. I'm pressuring you. I'm peer pressuring you to read the Bible. You didn't, you didn't care when they were peer pressuring you to smoke pot. 
But for some reason, when somebody peer pressures you to do something good, all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm a bad guy. Hey, if, I, if that makes me a bad guy, the equivalent of a, of a jerk on the street corner, let me pressure you into doing something. Read your Bible. Amen. Put your name on those things. You say, well, Pastor, you know, because my name was there one year, and my name was within one year, but then there was that one year I got backslidden, and my name's not there, now I'm embarrassed. Well, don't get backslidden. Amen. Read the Bible. You know, now everybody's going to go look, oh, what names are missing here? <laughs> Tells you the story of their lives. Look, I, I, I'm telling you, you say, why do you read the Bible? Here's why. Because some of you are so discouraged about the economy and so discouraged about the president and so discouraged about this and that and your wife and your husband and that relationship and this relationship and all these things going on. And here's how it's supposed to work. Those things are discouraging. They're depressing. They make us down. Our soul is cast down. Our heart is disquieted. And then you open your Bible, you read the Bible, and you realize, I wasn't supposed to be hoping in that anyway. You open your Bible and you read your Bible and when you close your Bible, nothing has changed. The economy is still bad, but you're reminded that you're on your way to heaven. You're reminded that there are some things more important than gold and silver and people. There are things that are worth powerful things in the Word of God. The way that God transmits His hope to us is the Word of God. So you say, I'm discouraged. Come back tonight. Say, why? For more word of God. You say, I'm discouraged. Pick one of these charts up and decide you're going to read the Bible. Why? For the word of God. Because as you read the word, as you study the word, as you learn the word, as you apply the word, it begins to create hope in you. And some of those other things may or may not change, but it doesn't matter because you changed. Because your heart changed. We talked about the absence of hope. We talked about the acquiring of hope. But very quickly, go back to Romans, if you would, Romans chapter 4. Very quickly, just as we finish up this morning, let me use this phrase. Let me use the phrase, and then I'll excuse the phrase. Let's talk about the audacity of hope. Talk about the absence of hope, the acquiring of hope. Let's talk about the audacity of hope. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourselves, I, I, that sounds familiar to me. I've heard that. In 2006, Barack Obama released a book entitled The Audacity of Hope. And it was basically a book outlining his political views. I've never read it, and I'm not planning on it. I'm not endorsing his book, and I'm not endorsing him in any way, shape, or form. He claims to have taken the title for his book, to have stolen the title for his book from a sermon that his pastor preached, Jeremiah Wright. His pastor in Chicago preached a sermon called The Audacity of Hope. And Obama liked that phrase so much that he stole that phrase and used it for his political book. Now, again, I'm not endorsing Jeremiah Wright in any way, shape, or form. But I do want to say this, though I do not like Barack Obama, and if that offends you, I don't like Donald Trump either. So quit being such a stinking respecter of persons and putting your hope in princes. Though I do not like Barack Obama, and though I do not endorse Jeremiah Wright, I do like this little phrase, the audacity of hope. Because it's a biblical concept. Remember, hope is not... The hope you and I think of. It's not a hope so. 
Things are going to get better? I hope so. The economy is going to recover? I hope so. Inflation is going to go down? I hope so. That's not the biblical hope. The biblical hope is, I know so. Is Jesus coming back? I know so. Am I on my way to heaven? I know so. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Will I be reunited with Christians that have passed away? I know I will. I know so. That's the biblical term of hope. In Romans 4 and verse 18, we see the audacity of hope. Just for sake of clarity, I actually went back and listened to Jeremiah Wright's sermon after I wrote my sermon just to see if there was any overlap, and there was not. He did not even go to this verse, which is the verse he should have gone to if he's going to preach on the audacity of hope, which makes no sense to me, but whatever. Romans chapter 4 and verse 18. This is talking about Abraham. Notice what the Bible says. Who against hope believed in hope. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. If, I realize I'm a pastor, which makes me a little bit of a wordsmith. I like how words are phrased, and I like to play with words, and I like it when words are memorable. I just love that little phrase there. Who against hope believed in hope. So what is this talking about? It's talking about Abraham, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. The Bible is referring to the fact that when Abraham was told by God as a 75-year-old man that you're going to be, give birth, you're going to, I'm going to give you a son. You've never had a son, but I'm going to give you a son. And then Abraham believed God and continued on in his life. And it wasn't until he was 100 years old that God gave him his son Isaac. For those years and decades, from the moment he was told about Isaac until Isaac was given, the Bible tells us that Abraham had hope. Now notice, I want you to notice how both types of hope are used in that verse. The biblical hope and the humanistic hope. The Bible says, who against hope believed in hope. Who against the natural, mental, humanistic hope. Because no 100-year-old man, no 99-year-old man, no one who's 98, 97, 99 years old and is asked, you're going to have a son this year? No one says, well, I sure hope so. (laughs) There's no possibility of that. There's no chance that'll happen. There's no hope there. But the Bible says about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. Against the human hope, he believed in God's hope. It was an expectation. It was an assurance. It was a promise he had been given. Who against hope believed in hope. I'm just here to tell you something. I don't like Obama and I don't like Jeremiah Wright, but I do like this little phrase, the audacity of hope. Because hope is audacious. When you have real biblical hope, it's ludicrous. It'll make you do crazy things. I mean, the Bible says in Genesis 21.5, and Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. The audacity of hope will cause a 100-year-old man to believe and to live his life as though God is going to give him a son. That's the audacity of hope. You know what the audacity of hope is? It's Moses, a lowly servant, a shepherd who's lived the last 40 years of his life on the backside of the desert, the Bible tells us. For that man, Moses, who's a shepherd living on the backside of the desert and also a convict running from Egypt for murder. That Moses 
would then show up at Pharaoh's doorstep and would say, Thus saith the Lord God, let my people go. You know what that is? That is the audacity of hope. That Moses would so hope in God and so believe in God and so trust in God that it would cause him to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You know what the audacity of hope is? It's Joshua. Taking a group of people that had been enslaved for hundreds of years, having them cross the Jordan River and then finding the biggest city that they've uh, fought, uh, Jericho, with massive walls. We're told that the walls of Jericho were not just walls like you and I think. There were these, these fortresses, really. Uh, the walls themselves had lanes in them for them to be able to drive carriages up uh, through the walls and into different parts of the city. And for Joshua to take his group of ex-slaves, walk up to those walls, walk around that wall not once but twice and thrice and four times and five times and six times and seven times and on the seventh time walk around it seven times and then shout and the walls come tumbling down that's the audacity of hope the audacity of hope is Gideon taking 300 men and going to battle against an innumerable number of Midianites with no swords and no weapons The audacity of hope is a little boy named David grabbing five stones and going to battle against a great giant Goliath. That is the audacity of hope. When your hope is in God, your expectation is in God. When your belief is in God, there's an audacity of hope. But you won't get that when your hope is in politicians. You won't get that when your hope is in the economy. You won't get that when your hope is in your favorite sports team or your favorite sports car. You won't get that. You can only get that from God. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. We'll finish up. We're done. We're done right here. Hebrews chapter 6, if you would. You start at the end of Revelation and go backwards. You have Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. Sometimes I ask the question. I ask this question in my own mind because I look at these great men of God and I think to myself, how were they able to keep going? Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes it feels like everyone's against you. I'm not talking about our church family. I'm talking about us against the world. I mean, everyone's against us. Everyone's not for us. Everyone's canceling us and, 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 and everything. And, and I look at these men in the Bible and I think, They were going through those same things. How did they keep going? How did they keep fighting? How were they able, like Paul, who was stoned and who was imprisoned and who was beaten and who was uh, stabbed in the back and and, and had all these terrible things happen in his life, how did he get to the end of his life and say, I finished my course, I've kept the faith, and he says, I've done it with joy. How could you do that? And it has to be this word, hope. Looking for that blessed hope. My confidence, my trust is in hope, not man, but God. Hebrews 6 and verse 18. Notice these words. We'll finish up. We'll be done. That by two immutable things, Brother RJ actually used these verses in our soul winning rally yesterday. They spoke to me. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. That's what Brother RJ was preaching about, comfort. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. 
which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth not into that within the veil. You say, who's that hope? Hebrews 6.20, whether the forerunner is for us entered, notice these words, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know that our hope is Jesus? Our hope is Jesus, the high priest. I I love the words of the hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other hope is sinking sand. All other hope is sinking sand. Our hope is Jesus. I'm just here to tell you, I'm not minimizing whatever you're going through. I get it. Life's hard sometimes. Sometimes you feel like it's just an uphill battle and everyone's against you and nothing's going well and everything's going wrong. But when we feel that hopelessness, when we, like the psalmist, say, why is my soul cast down? Why is my heart disquieted? The Bible says that we can lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. So if you're feeling hopeless, let me tell you, maybe it's just your hopes in the wrong thing. And if you get the hope that God offers, it's sure and steadfast. You say, how do I get it? Well, I'm glad you asked. You ever heard of our nine chapters a day? You ought to read the Bible. The God of hope will transmit his hope to you through his word. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And Lord, I I have not gone in my life through some of the things that people in this room have gone through. My wife and I have definitely gone through our battles in ministry. And I'm not here to compare. But I know this. Life can feel hopeless sometimes. It can feel like nothing's going right. Everyone's against you. And when we feel like that, help us to put our hope in God. Blessed is the man who trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to have the right hope. Not a hope-so hope, but a no-so hope in the God of hope. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to give you a couple of reminders. First of all, don't forget that we have the Christmas gifts for Jesus program going on and